that the writer, the Apostle Paul, is also very excited in verse 3 about the blessings that God has given to us. He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then we've been asking the question, what are the blessings then? He he mentions them in verse 3, he talks about every spiritual blessing. He mentions them in verse 3 and I think from verse 4 he's really given us a clue as to the detail. We've identified three separate ideas and we've been showing that Paul is trying to answer these three questions. Can I really grow? Do I really belong? And can I recover when I mess up? Um, Last week we were in verse 4 and we were answering the first of those questions. Can I really grow? So I'm not going to recap all that. You can listen online if you missed that. We've reached um, verse 5 and uh, and we're, we're dealing this week with the second of those questions. Do I really belong? Will I fit in? Um, I think that is a really important and deep question. And right here in verse 5, Paul answers it with this whole subject of adoption. He goes in verse 5 straight to the idea of God being our Father. He says there, He predestined us to be adopted to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. So we're thinking today about the biblical doctrine of adoption. Uh, And this this is one of the most incredible claims um, in the Bible. I I, I hope you see that right at the outset. the, the Bible teaches us that God does not want us to be outside in the cold. He is not intending to keep people at arm's length. But he desires the closest, most intimate relationship with us. He is our Father. All, all religions try and teach something about God, don't they? Um, and maybe this afternoon, you know, you might think, how, how do we relate to God? God can be thought of as your creator. He can be thought of as your master, your teacher. Some people might think about God as their judge. But here is a truly astonishing claim that this God wants to be your father. I want to say that this is actually unique to Christianity. Um, If you thought at all about any other religions, you you may know that there are other religions in the world that find this claim actually very offensive. It is the most amazing claim of Christianity that the infinite God, the creator God, has found a way to be intimate with his people. Christianity is relational in the most intimate way possible. This is a God who wants to be known as our Father. Paul speaks about the fatherhood of God a lot here. Verse 2, he begins this letter by saying, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We already read verse 3. The whole of this chapter is built on the foundation of the fact that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with all these blessings in the heavenly realms and in Christ. The letter even ends with Paul um, praying a blessing on these people in Ephesus from God the Father. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this idea of the fatherhood of God It it is very unique to Christianity. I want to say also that this idea of adoption, I I, I want to ask you, how do you think of your Christian life? This idea of adoption is the highest thing that can be said about our Christian lives, really. Imagine uh, you were in court and the judge is up there on his bench. Is that what they call the judge's seat, the bench? And you're in the dock as a criminal 
and, uh, and you come into court and the judge somehow finds a way even though you're guilty to say you're forgiven I think your heart would leap you'd be very pleased about that but then the judge said hang on a minute I haven't finished I haven't finished not only am I forgiving you I'm actually going to pronounce you right and true and clean I'm going to treat you as if you'd never committed a crime at all you think well that's even better forgiveness is one thing being made right is another thing but then they just hang on a minute don't get your coat yet we've not finished yet I also want to invite you to come and live in my house I want you to come home with me and be part of my family you are welcome from now on to eat at my table to come and go from my house and one day you're going to inherit all my stuff come home and be one of my children I don't think that's ever happened but that's what Christianity says that is exactly what's happening in the gospel sinful and flawed people are forgiven made righteous and then adopted into God's own family this is the highest thing that anyone could say about Christianity not only is the fatherhood of God a unique claim to Christianity but this is the pinnacle of salvation in a way isn't it to be adopted I read one preacher this week who said they felt like preaching on this subject was like being a cork in a bottle sort of ready to pop out um, there are not words to describe in a way how important and how good and how crucial this truth is but we're going to try and use words to do that and maybe a little bit of dancing around at the front as well because I do get enthusiastic but um, let's try and piece it together what, first of all what does this verse actually say I've given you a little sheet there the verse is at the top so uh, you can read the verse and I, I think this verse says five things I'm not making this up. We're, all we're doing, there's no gimmicks here. We're just going back to the Bible and looking at what the Bible says. Five things. Number one, God has planned it. Um, this is not uh, a random thing. There is a foundation and a purpose to this. It's not God's plan B. Um, we talked about the little words in love at the end of verse 4 and we said the NIV was wrong and that that should be part of verse 4 and this new idea begins at the start of verse 5 he predestined us this is not something that has been dreamt up by people this, I, want, I want to say this as well this is not I wish I had a dad so I'm going to project that idea into the sky and invent a God who might be a nice dad this isn't wishful thinking Paul here is very clear in verse 4 and 5 that we did not choose God he chose us that's how adoption works isn't it You've never seen a child who said, please come and adopt me. The whole process of adoption begins with a parent coming and initiating the process. God in his goodness, it says here, predestined us to be adopted. That word predestined is a very interesting word. You might think, well, he says he chose us in verse 4. Why does he just repeat himself with a different word? it's not quite the same idea to predestine something is to kind of decide something beforehand it, to, to kind of mark it out before the time comes Paul is saying here that God he, he says it in verse 4 before the creation of the world even has in his heart determined he's marked it out beforehand that we would be one day in time adopted into his family secondly uh, this verse says that he achieved it through Christ, that's very important All of the, Paul said that in verse 3 all of these blessings come to us in Christ Jesus is the son as we'll see he's not adopted himself he's the real deal but when God adopts us into his family, he always does it through the son who's not adopted 
He makes it possible for us to be adopted through Christ. In Christianity, the Lord Jesus is everything. There is no Christianity without Jesus. And if we're going to know anything at all of God's blessing, it will always come to us through him. If someone thinks that they can know God's blessing but bypass Christ, they're not being consistent with what the Bible teaches. He achieved it through Christ. We'll see that. Thirdly, it's not natural or even deserved. Why is it not natural? Well, the whole thing with adoption is that it's to achieve something that isn't natural, isn't it? The, the fact is, we weren't sons of God or daughters of God and he has to come and initiate the process to adopt us. So it's not natural. In other words, he has brought us in. When we were far away, he came to us. When we didn't belong, he made us belong in a way that is completely unbreakable. But Paul also mentions grace here. Um, he, he says at the end of verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You, you know, the word grace in Christianity means undeserved kindness. We didn't deserve this great privilege but this is what God planned he sent Christ to make it happen and God has gone to the most incredible lengths to make people who were not his children part of his family uh, where are we up to fourthly I want you to notice that God is pleased to do it that is a great thing to think about what, what are the things that please God here it says He's predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Paul could have said there, in accordance with his will, his boring, mechanical, kind of rigid will. No, according to his pleasure and will. I love that. There's a glimpse here of beauty, appropriateness, this is not just mechanical. This isn't the same as fate. This is something that makes the heart of God sing with gladness. There's joy, energy, happiness, enthusiasm here. This is not some shelf-stacking job where, or someone pressing a button all day long. This is God awake and alert. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God is cheerful in doing this. And the last part is that it results in awe and amazement. Paul says that God has done this so that not just his grace, but his glorious grace would be praised. This is something to be marveled at, to be amazed by. The reason Paul gives as to why God even does all this stuff is so that it would cause the biggest party you have ever seen. The end of all of this process of adoption is one big, massive, satisfying, never-ending, wow. The end of this process is that God's grace and generosity would be celebrated forever in eternity. But there's a little sentence at the very end that seems almost redundant. Did you notice that? To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I, I'm not sure that Paul needed to say that at that point, did he? He could have just, well, there's no full stop here. It's one long sentence as we keep saying. He could have just stopped there to the praise of his glorious grace. 
But he doesn't stop there because he hasn't finished saying everything he means to say. So he adds this phrase that points to Jesus. But even then, he could have said, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in Christ. But he doesn't even say that. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, and he describes Christ as the one he loves. I think, that's the thing that's gripped me as I've been preparing this this week. And I want to pause... And well, I don't. I want to do more than pause. I want to spend most of our time thinking about that. Okay, what is going on here? The fact that he calls Jesus the one whom the Father loves changes the whole concept of adoption. This is more than a technical, mechanical thing. This is a love story. So, if you've got the sheet there, as we think about this concept of adoption, here's my questions. First of all, on the basis of that little redundant close at the end. First of all what is going on in God first? It is always good for us to begin with God and see this from his point of view. What's going on in God? Secondly what does that then mean for us? And I'm worried that I've bitten off more than we can chew because there's a third question which is how does that then affect my life? Um, We've got to finish on time because Jane's working nights tonight so we can't go on too long otherwise she'll be getting fired. Well, she'll have to sneak out before we finish. What's going on in God? What does that mean for us? And how does that affect my life today in Rotherham in 2014? Okay? So, let's uh, dig in. What is going on in God? First of all, I want to say something very important. God the Father is not desperately needing someone to love. This father has always loved another. This father has never been lonely. He is not bored. He's not in a cringing way needy. It's not like he needs to love other people to feel fulfilled. Let me read a quote to you. This is from an older writer, so some of the language is a bit Shakespearean. Not quite Shakespearean. Listen to this. We, as adopted children, are indeed loved. But there is another the Son, the own beloved Son. It was not therefore affection, craving indulgence, or eager for an object on which to expend itself that led to our adoption. There was no void in his bosom. The loved one lay in it. I, I love that. There's no void in his heart. The beloved one already dwelt there. This comes out a lot in the New Testament. John, the disciple of Jesus, is at great pains to express the idea that Christ has always been enduring face-to-face, joyful, loving intimacy with the Father we don't need to turn to them. I've written them down here. But first John chapter 1 verse 2. John says, The life appeared. We have seen it. And testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. When they met Jesus, they knew that he had been in the Father's heart. That's where he'd come from. He's appeared to us, but that's where he came from. The beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1. The Word, Jesus, was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That little word with is a boring word in the English. In the Greek, that word means face to face. The Word was face to face with God. He was face to face with God right at the beginning. 
Later on in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, verse 18, John says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The Gospels tell us of occasions where the Father expresses his love for his own beloved Son. The baptism of Jesus, we think about this recently. And John the Baptist baptises Jesus and he hears a voice from heaven and the Father's... You, you can sense the Father's heart bursting with pride. This is my Son who I love. With Him I am well pleased. The transfiguration of Jesus. Matthew chapter 17. Peter, James and John go with Jesus and on the mountain there, Jesus is trans- they see a little glimpse of the glory of Jesus. And they hear God the Father say, again, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So I want to suggest that Paul's right on the money here in Ephesians when he refers to Jesus as the one that the Father loves. Can I ask you, Do you think of Jesus in this way? Do you think of Jesus in this way? He has, as the eternal Son of God, He is the beloved one. The first thing you need to know about Jesus is that God the Father is head over heels in love with Him. The Father thinks the Son is amazing. Jesus is the apple of the Father's eye. Why is that important? Why does Paul even say that here? I'll tell you why. Because it means that God the Father has given us his very best. I don't want to underestimate this. The salvation that we have is all delivered on a plate by the one that the Father loves unlike any other. Why is that relevant? Because the way for you and me to measure God's love is to see how much it cost him. Isn't it? What's the most famous verse in the whole Bible? Who said that? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. For God so loved the world. That is the measure of his love. I was reminded of that this week. I was reading um, Martin Lloyd-Jones is a famous British preacher. And he preached through Ephesians slower than we're going through it. So we've got some catching up to the, or some slowing down to the. But I was reading his commentary on this verse this week let me read to you this this is a slightly longer quote if we are to have some conception of the love of God we must think of God the Father looking down upon all and observing and watching what was happening to his beloved son all parents know something of this experience they send their children out on the voyage of life and they watch them they keep their eye on them they see the storms and trials coming and they watch with concern and with love at times trembling for them fearful for them multiply that by infinity and we still have no conception of what it meant to the eternal father to send his own son into the sea of sin and evil that is in this world and how the world reacted to Jesus is significant isn't it when the father sees his son being mocked 
laughed at, rejected, ridiculed, misunderstood, despised, thought little of. What does that say to the Father's heart? Lloyd-Jones goes on to remind us that the ultimate astonishing truth here is that this is the pinnacle of this is the cross isn't it for the father to see his son staggering up the Via Dolorosa with a wooden cross on his back for the father to see his beautiful innocent and incredible son hung up to die like a criminal for this father to see this son shamed and humiliated we sing sometimes don't we how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory do you want to know how much God loves you never lose sight of the fact that he loves Christ first and sent him his very best to save you Paul says in Romans chapter 8 this is the God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. But let's just, we thought about that from the Father's point of view. Think about this from the Son's point of view. God the Son is willing to share everything that he has and is. This is the beloved Son. The apple of his Father's eye. And he gave it all up so that he could have brothers and sisters. The story of the prodigal son, I think, is very enlightening. Maybe in reasons that we might not expect, uh, for reasons that we might not expect. The younger son, we know the story about the younger son, don't we? I'm thinking more about the older son here. The younger son takes all the cash and he runs away and he, he wastes it all the older brother stays at home working for his dad tell me this when the dad dies who is it who gets everything the older son the younger son he's taking the cash and he's run when this dad dies who inherits everything? The older brother. It's all his. The younger son's made his choice. He's gone. A few years later, down the road, comes the younger son. Stinking of pigs. He's got nothing left. Dressed in rags. The dad shouts, Bring in the best coat! The elder brother's thinking, That's mine. The dad says, kill the fattest cow. The elder brother's thinking, that's mine. The dad says, let's have a party. Give him a new ring and some shoot. The elder brother's thinking, that's my stuff. Why should he get anything? This is my inheritance. He's a jerk who threw it all away. It's all mine. Stop giving it to him. He doesn't deserve it anyway. Listen, for the younger son to get anything at this point costs the older brother, doesn't it? The elder brother in that story was a grumpy so-and-so. But Jesus is not a grumpy so-and-so. Your salvation is free, but it cost Christ everything. For God the Father to bring you in meant that he had to go out. 
for you to be rich, he had to become poor. For you to know glory, he had to be humiliated. Let me ask you, how much does he love you? He loves you enough to lay aside his glorious comfort and to come to planet earth and to even lay down his life for you. He emptied himself, the Bible says, so that you and I could be filled. But it goes even further than this, more than this, this elder brother loves you enough to let his father love you too. He loves you enough to share his inheritance. Jesus doesn't stomp his feet and shout, that's mine! He isn't stingy or selfish, but instinctively and beautifully and courageously generous. Do you know what? These qualities are exactly the qualities that make the Father's heart swell with pride. This is why the Father loves him, admires him, and cherishes him, because he is a hero in the selflessness of his love. Can you see that Jesus longs to share what he has with you? Jesus is like, Father, will you love them in the same way that you love me? Paul even says, I'm not making this up, Romans chapter 8 verse 17, Paul even dares to say that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Exactly the point, to share his inheritance. Jesus knows that the Father is amazing and he's willing to die that others might share what he has. We've been thinking a lot in our church about the Trinity. Maybe we could think about the Trinity being the original family, Father, Son and Spirit. What is their greatest joy? That others would come to experience the love that they share. That is the Gospel. That their family would grow and expand. Now, when we go back to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, Maybe we're getting a sense of what Paul is aiming at here. Paul is excited here. He is breathless here. He knows here that this is a love story being played out. This is what God planned. This is how he achieves it through Christ. This is why it gives them pleasure. This is why it results in the greatest party that will reverberate forever. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. What grace? The grace that he's freely given us in the one he loves. What does this mean? That's what's going on in God. Can I say to you, it is always best to start with God. When we see things from his point of view, it always enlightens our own point of view. That's what it meant for God. What does it mean for us? I'll tell you. If you're a Christian today, what this means for you and for me is that the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Is that how you think of your Father's love? He is the Son the beloved Son. And this Father God, through his amazing Son, has adopted you too as his sons and daughters. Can I just take a minute to take you to one of the most amazing passages in the Bible? Let me just put a bookmark in there. And let's go back to John's Gospel. John chapter 17 Graham was just telling me before that he's um, been preaching through the last hours of Jesus so he's not got to this part yet but he's got some good things to look forward to when he does. John chapter 17 Jesus is praying 
he's prayed for his own disciples and in verse 20 he prays for you and me my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me verse 22 I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one I in them and you in me may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me you have loved them even as you have loved me I've written it like that to just separate out those little words even as what does that mean? you have loved them in exactly the same way that you have loved me oh father I know that you love me and I now know that you've loved them in the same way that you've loved me you say I haven't done anything I know I'm nothing like him I know actually it's worse than that I thought he hated me I know look at what Jesus said you have loved them even as you've loved me I think it helps us at this point to think about what adoption was in Roman times I think when we think of the word adoption we think of you know a couple of parents going to the hospital and picking out a little cute baby who's only like three days old and well, we'll adopt this one I know it doesn't work like that but that, maybe we think of adopting infant in Roman times the concept that Paul's talk about here in Ephesians chapter 1 is much more about adopting adults so maybe you're uh, the head of a family and you have no children or heir but you have a slave who, who works for you in your business or whatever and you initiate the process of adoption I'm going to adopt this fully grown servant of mine and he is going to become my son what used to happen under Roman law was that if that servant or slave had any debts they were all worked out all the old obligations and debts were gone and that slave or servant basically becomes as wealthy as their dad and you now have a dad who's responsible for you and you also have some responsibilities in a way to continue to reflect your dad's good name in this world you become like him in a way you enjoy his favour and one day you're going to inherit all his stuff Jesus says Father you have loved them even as you have loved me our third question then was how should this affect our lives I think we're going to be okay to, to finish before Jane goes to work so that's good. freedom from fear are you a fearful person? One of the biggest fears that we have is that of being rejected, cast off. If God is your Father, you are free from that fear. I don't know if you're a Downton Abbey fan. Do you watch Downton Abbey sometimes? Some, some people go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people go, yeah, they love it or hate it, don't they? Downton Abbey. There are servants downstairs who work very hard for a living. They're told what to do. They're not allowed to answer back. 
And there are family members upstairs who also work hard in different ways, but there's a big difference. The servants can get fired. But did you ever hear of a family member who got fired? The family, those guys who live upstairs, who wear the fancy clothes, I've never seen them walking around thinking I'm going to get fired tomorrow. (laughs) But the servants on the downstairs, they're always trying to like, don't tell him, don't tell her. The fear of being cast out. If you're family, you don't fear being fired. And family members don't do what they do out of compulsion and fear. They do it in freedom, don't they? In um, the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes this, When the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, so that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave. You are in the family. Do I belong? Do I really belong? I wish you had more time here. But I want to say this. That it is fear, more often than not, that drives a lot of our sinful behaviours. When we sin, we are living like slaves who have no doubt. Do you get that? We crave attention. We want to feel wanted, to feel significant. We do all sorts of things to try and fix that for ourselves. We exaggerate things so that people will like us more. We gossip about things because the mistakes of other people make us feel better about ourselves. We get irritable when we think that someone's undermined us. How very dare they? We're driven to be workaholics so that we feel worthwhile. Sometimes we indulge in immoral behaviours hoping that it will make us feel better. One of the greatest answers to sin is to remember who we are. We have a father. We're not slaves anymore. We bear his name. We have his likeness. We know his favour. We will one day inherit all this stuff. What are we doing playing with sin when we're part of his family? Paul said, I wish we had time to go to Romans 8. Paul says, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the Greek word for Daddy. Let's roll on. Secondly, how should this affect our lives? Not just freedom from fear, but confidence in approaching him. If one of my neighbours came and knocked on my door at 3am, I'd probably ignore them. Or send them away. Come back in the morning, you idiot. Oh, I wouldn't be as rude as that. If one of my staff at work, I might be actually at that time in the morning, if one of my staff came to a silly old clock, wanting something, oh, I just wondered about, I wouldn't want to be rude, but I'd make them wait. We'll talk about it on Monday. Stop being stupid. But if one of my kids came at three o'clock in the morning, they'd wink at each other there, that's us. <laughs> That changes everything, doesn't it? I don't want them to think my dad's too busy or thinks he's too important or too tired or too anything. What I want is for my kids to have comfort. I don't want them to nag me to death, but I want them to, I want them to have confidence to come and ask whatever they need. How do you think about God, your father, in relation to this? How is your prayer life? Have you forgotten that God is your Father? And He loves to hear you. Come to Him. You don't need big words or long prayers or potty clothes. 
He only wants to hear your heart. He is pleased to welcome you and hear you. I had a very good friend at university whose dad was a minister and he had an office up in the attic and he used to prepare his sermons and when my friend was a very little boy he snuck up the ladder when his dad was busy working at his desk and, he, and he, the, the dad heard you know, some noise behind him and, and it's the dad who told this story in a sermon that he was preaching on prayer and he turned around he was very busy but it's his son and he opens his arms and he lifts his son to his knee a child has confidence to be able to approach their father this idea is very relevant in Ephesians let me show you Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18 we'll get to this in about three years time well verse 17 Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away peace to those who are near for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit chapter 3 and verse 12 having spoken about God's eternal purposes in Christ Paul says in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence freedom and confidence thirdly how should this affect our life I want to say this if God is your father it means that your difficulties your troubles, your struggles your, your hardships are not fatal what do you do when life is hard does it make you feel bitter does it make you feel life is just so unfair there's a lot of things that we don't understand I don't want to be tried many of us suffer greatly in different ways but listen have you forgotten that you have a father who loves you if God is your father there is nothing that happens to you that is outside of his care none of it is designed to crush you or to punish you it, isn't, it doesn't come from a God who's like a tyrannical God who hates you it's not the whole story but very often in our troubles God is seeking to teach us things like any good parent will just go with me uh, to the book of Hebrews we're, we're almost done but in the book of Hebrews uh, page 1210 if you've got a church bible he's writing here to people who are having a hard time and he says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 you have forgotten you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses your sons my son do not make light of the Lord's discipline do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son and your hardship is discipline God is treating you as sons what son is not disciplined by his father if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are illegitimate children and not true sons moreover we've all had human fathers who disciplined us we respected them for it how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it oh man that's a big subject but there's a whole how do you approach your difficult have you forgotten that you have a heavenly father and fourthly and lastly and we're nearly done if God is your father you have a great future we read 1 John chapter 3 last week it was on the end of the handout there what we will be has not yet been made known he has predestined you to be adopted as sons there is a glory to come 
that will make suffering current suffering pale into nothing Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that even the creation groans and waits and longs for the sons of God to be revealed one day I, I think Tim Keller said this one day God's glory will drop on you and when it does even the creation will be renewed because that will be such a cataclysmic thing when God finishes what he started in you even the creation itself will be liberated Romans says from its bondage to decay oh man I wish we had more time to look at that maybe another time if God is your father you can know freedom from fear confidence to approach him purpose in your difficulties and you have a great future what was our question do I really belong the human yearning not to be left outside in the cold is huge but in the gospel these yearnings are fully answered he has planned before time began for you to be adopted into his family co-heirs with Christ himself as we close will you be a slave or a son a daughter will you live in fear or in freedom will you come to Christ the beloved one or will you reject him and pain the heart of his father Will you this afternoon stay outside in the cold or come in to belong to his glorious?